Would you, would you pray with me this morning? That's the most important part, prayer. Would you pray for yourselves? Would you pray for those around you? And would you pray that the word um, be lifted up and Jesus be glorified? Would you pray? Let's pray. Father, we are, we are so grateful for how faithful and good you truly, truly are. Lord, as um, it was mentioned here just a few minutes ago, your mercies are new each morning. We get to experience that and participate in that as we share your love with others. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that today, this morning, that you would be, that you would lift Jesus up high before our eyes, that his beauty would be seen, that our hearts would be changed. Do a work in our hearts that we, that, that nothing else can do. Change us from the inside out, and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, it's hard to believe that we are less than 24 hours away from the new year. And I'm sure that many of you are already setting goals and making resolutions. The new year always seems to provide this kind of opportunity for contemplation and introspection. We, we need moments like, like this. We need time to, to think about what's working or not working in our lives, especially, especially after the rush of the holiday seasons, after so much gift wrapping. But as you think about your goals and the resolutions, it's important to focus not just on external changes, but also on internal ones as well. One area that we often overlook when it comes to internal change is our faith. That's what I want to explore this morning, the nature and character of faith and, and how it should impact our lives. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of James because that's where I believe we can find one of the most challenging and practical passages on faith in the entire Bible. Our text this morning is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. But let me give you a bit of context before we dive in. James is the brother of Jesus and a leader in the early church. In his letter, he is addressing Jewish Christians who are facing persecution and trials. He urges them to endure and rejoice in these trials because ultimately they lead to increased maturity and steadfastness. But he also warns them because of the temptation towards sinful anger not to be mere hearers of the word, but doers. And this is important and relevant to what we're going to discuss this morning because in James' opinion, hearing without doing it's like looking in the mirror and forgetting what you look like. If you looked in the mirror this morning, I'm pretty sure you remembered what you saw. You know, the mirror provides us with a clear and accurate reflection of ourselves, which is why we use them to prepare and groom ourselves. But if we walk away from the mirror and immediately forget what we look like, then what use is that? What is the point of looking in the mirror in the first place. The goal 
should be to look and then act. And James's point is this. We've looked into the gospel mirror. We've seen our sinfulness before God and seen what he has done to remedy that and bring us new life. So the question is, are we living that new life? Or have we forgotten what we saw? And so already we can see that James is calling the church to action. But it's not just any kind of action he's talking about. He's talking about actions that stem from a living an active faith in Jesus. And as we turn to chapter 2, we see that this forgetfulness has led to favoritism within the church. The church had forgotten the gospel. And this was evident in the way that they treated the poor. So, Paul, so James recalls their pre-salvation state. He reminds them that they too were once poor in the eyes of the world, yet God made them rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. This message should have transformed their hearts and changed how they related to people, but it didn't. They heard the word, but did not live according to it. And this brings us to our text today, where in verses 14 through 17, James poses a question. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Who is James addressing here? He is dress, he's addressing those who claim to have faith in Jesus, but their actions don't line up with that claim. These are people who go to church, sing songs, say all the right things, but their hearts and lives remain unchanged. James is saying that this kind of faith is dead and useless. It's just words without any substance behind them. This is also addressed by the Apostle John, who says, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in, in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You see, faith in Jesus most, must go beyond words. It's easy to conflate faith with mental assent, thinking that we must believe it since we like it or agree with it. But faith that remains only on the tongue and in the head but never reaches the heart and hands isn't true faith at all. Saying, for example, that you believe that the chair in front of you can support your weight is one thing. Sitting in it is quite another. In the eyes of an observer, your trust in the chair isn't proven by your words. It's proven when you sit down. So you see, faith isn't just about words or facts you know. It's about a living and active trust in Jesus. C.S. Lewis once wrote, to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying that you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. 
Thus, if you really have handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. For example, do you believe that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father? Do you believe that? If so, then the lordship of Jesus won't just remain a Christian doctrine, but a truth that influences your life. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Consider for a moment topics such as marriage, parenting, and work. When Jesus is Lord of the marriage, what happens? The husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, and the wife submits to him as the church submits to Christ. And what about parenting and work? When Jesus is seen as Lord, children and employees obey those in authority over them as they would Christ. And parents and employers serve those under their care like Christ. Do you see what I'm getting at? Faith in Jesus is not an abstract and ideal, but a transformative influence that changes our actions and attitudes. In all these examples, it's your life, not your words, that evidence whether you actually believe what you say you believe. If we believe that Jesus is Lord, for example, then we will live according to his rule. It's as they say, actions speak louder than words. If you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk. In James's text, James asks, what good is faith that only talks but does nothing? Can that faith save? And the answer is no. Apart from the transformative influence of the gospel in our lives, our faith claims are dead and useless. It's just as useless as saying to someone with no clothes or food that you're thinking about them when it's in your power to do them good and help. The believers that James is addressing had problems with selfishness, insensitivity, and prejudice. But let's face it, you and I have the same problems. Like, it's common for us to say, I'm praying for you, or let me pray about it, than to actually do it or work to meet those needs ourselves. James says, faith like that is dead. But when you have a living faith in Jesus, things are much different. You are moved to reach out to others with the same love and grace that you have received from the Lord since you realize how gracious he is and how he became poor so that you might become rich through his poverty. Jesus says that by our love for one another, the world will know that we are his disciples. True love is not measured by the abundance of words or the frequency of social media posts on the topic. No, it lies in the depths of our actions, in the genuine care and compassion we show towards others on a profound and personal level because we're motivated, because we're motivated by the gospel. John speaks this when he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in truth. For example, it's pointless to tell my wife that I love her and I don't show her. However, if I'm washing the dishes, taking the kids off her hands, spending quality time with her, telling her I love her doesn't ring so hollow. Now, 
that may not convey James's point very well, and I'm pretty sure my wife's over there staring at me, expecting the dishes to be cleared out the sink when we get home. But I just want to give you an idea of what James is saying. But just in case you're scratching your head, here's a better one. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If we are in Christ, our faith should never be stagnant. It should constantly motivate us to love and serve others just as Jesus did for us. This is what it means to have a faith that works, one that leads not merely to lip service, but to good works. Look with me at verses 18 through 20. I love how the NLT puts it. Now, someone may say, some people have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith. You believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? It's interesting how this argument begins in verse 18. This isn't James saying that faith and good works. This isn't James saying that faith and good works can be separated. No, it's the person he's addressing who's trying to draw a line between the two. And what it seems like they're trying to say is that faith is all that matters and good works are optional. But I love how James responds here because he's saying, no, faith and good works go hand in hand. They are inseparable because you can't say that you have faith if your actions don't reflect it. If you believe that faith can be seen apart from good works, show me another way. And of course, the problem that one runs into is that you can't. Yes, indeed, all that one needs is faith, but how do you define it? If you believe that faith means trusting God, then how does one trust without actually trusting? Regarding the relationship between faith and works, Martin Luther once wrote in his commentary on Romans, when it comes to faith, what a living, creative, and active, and powerful thing it is. It cannot do other than good works at all times. It never waits to ask whether there is some good work to do. Rather, before the question is raised, it has done the deed and keeps on doing it. A man not active in this way is a man without faith. It is impossible, indeed, to separate good works, good deeds from faith, just as it's impossible to separate heat and light from fire. We should, however, be careful. We need to be careful not to assume that since faith and good works go hand in hand, then good works save us. No amount of good works can atone for our sin. No amount of good works can turn away the wrath of God and bring us peace with him. No amount of good works can defeat sin, death, and Satan. God's decision to save us is not based on the good that we have done or the good that we will do, but on Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. By the living, by living the perfect life, dying the death that we deserve, and rising from the grave on the third day, he has accomplished for us what we could never 
what we can never do for ourselves. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. For by grace you have been saved, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. According to the scripture, our righteousness before God is like filthy rags because of our sins. But the righteousness of Jesus is without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Sadly, today, many are relying on their own righteousness instead of trusting in Jesus. A survey once held that over 52% of professing Christians in the U.S. believe that their good works will get them into heaven. This is because... They believe that the scales of merit will tip in their favor, that their good will somehow outweigh their bad when they stand before God. Hence, they spend their lives trying to do good and be good people, not because they're motivated by faith in what God has done for them, but because they believe that this is the way to become right with God. What they don't understand and what we sometimes miss is that God is perfectly holy. The scales of merit will never, never tip in our favor off the back of our good works because we are imperfect. And the standard that God requires is perfection. It doesn't matter how good we try to be or how good we believe that our hearts are. We will always fall short. That's why we need Jesus. And that's why we praise Jesus, because through repentance and faith in his good work on the cross, we are forgiven, accepted, loved, and declared righteous before God. Doesn't, doesn't that sound like good news? You don't need to work your way into God's good gracious. If you are in Christ, you're already there. Now live, live in light of that. That's what this is about. This is critical to know. Because when James asked, can that faith save him? Or if we jump ahead to verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac on the altar? Some people believe that James is saying that our works save us. But James isn't saying that at all. Good works don't save us. They are the natural result of our salvation. In other words, Genuine faith in Jesus will always produce good works because it is a transformative faith. It changes us from the inside out, and, it and this transformation impacts how we live our lives. It's like, it's like planting a healthy seed in good soil. That seed will sprout and grow into a flourishing plant. Similarly, when genuine faith is planted in our hearts, it will produce good works as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. Now, I must say that when it comes to good works, there are usually two extremes people go to. The first way of thinking is that good works makes us right with God. The second way of thinking is that since good works don't make us right with God, they aren't necessary. You need to know that the Bible doesn't condemn good works. It condemns trying to earn God's favor through them. Faith does not exempt us from good works. Faith spurs us on to do good works. The formula isn't faith plus works equals salvation. The formula is faith equals salvation equals works. You see, James isn't encouraging works in place of faith in Jesus or even in addition um, to faith in Jesus. 
No, James expects us to do good works because we have placed our faith in Jesus. Paul also agrees. Since after pointing out that salvation comes by grace through faith, he adds, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Family, I think what we should be asking ourselves as we enter this new year is are we actually walking by faith in these good works or are we just talking? If our faith in Jesus has not transformed us, if it has not made us zealous to some extent for good works, then we have every reason to doubt our faith. In our text, here's one patting themselves on their back because they agree in a sense to the fact that God is one. If you don't get anything else, get this. Biblical knowledge is important, but if it doesn't change your life, it's useless. It's not your knowing, feelings, or talking that vindicates your faith. It's your actions. Examine yourselves, Paul says, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, for don't you know that Christ lives in you? Again, we must ask ourselves, are we walking with Jesus? Are we bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? It's evident that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus. However, if by faith we have heard and believed the gospel, if God's Spirit has enabled it to bear fruit in our lives, some 30-fold, 60-fold, and even 100-fold, then our faith claim is vindicated. And isn't this to the praise of God's glorious grace? For it is God who works in you both to will and do his good pleasure. Let's take a look at verses 20 to 26. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead... So also faith apart from works is dead. One of my favorite stories growing up was this story. The story of Abraham and Isaac's journey up to Mount Moriah. I think about Isaac's comment to his father about there being no lamb. I also think about Abraham's response that God would provide a lamb. And how ultimately that points to God doing that for us in Jesus. Abraham didn't climb up that mountain thinking that he would come down without a son. Abraham climbed that mountain trusting that they would return together. Let me say that again. He didn't go up the mountain thinking that he would come down without a son. He went up the mountain trusting that they would return together. The Bible says that on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance and said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. That wasn't some blind faith. 
or some kind of holy hoping for the best. It was confidence that God's word was true and conviction that acting on that word would bring his blessing. Hebrews records that Abraham believed that God was even able to raise his son from the dead. That's faith at work. That's knowing that nothing will be impossible with God in acting on it. Again, I wanted to make this abundantly clear. The justification by works that we see in our text here is not concerning how one is made righteous before God, but how one's faith claim is vindicated. We read of Abraham's actions, and what do we see? True faith, beliefs, shaping behavior. Is this to say that Abraham didn't struggle? Or that we won't struggle from time to time? No. But it does mean that it will be evident in our lives whether we are growing in Christ. This, of course, carries over to the story of Rahab and many like her who who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Someone has said that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequence. When we read in Hebrews 11, for example, when you meet these men and women who acted on God's word, no ma- they did so no matter what the price they had to pay. They believed God and they acted. So you see, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but power. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. It's about remaining steadfast by faith, showing forth the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, not just through our words, but through our lives. If we believe that God is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think, we will act on this belief, not just as individuals, but as a church. We all have a part to play. Whether young or old, we all can exercise our faith. God calls us off the sidelines and into the race. But hear me here, the only way to run it well is by looking daily to Jesus. We've talked a lot about faith this morning, but faith is only as good as its object. If a mountain stands in our way, it's not moved because of faith in faith, but faith in God. Do you want to become a more stronger and active Christian? Do you want your faith to be more stronger and active? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Open up his word. Meditate on his promises. Plug into a community that will point you to him. And allow the Holy Spirit to empower you to live in light of who he is and what he's done. What I'm saying is, this message isn't a call to trust in ourselves, but a call to trust in God. Yes, we must do good works. We should feed the poor, help widows and orphans and care for the sick. Yes, we should love our enemies, seek justice and make disciples. But all these good works must be done in the strength that God provides because he is the author and finisher of our faith. Think about what it has taken to get us to this point as a local church. Faith. Think about the last several months, all the changes, 
all the coordination, all the disappointment. Yet, New City, here you are by faith. You didn't know what laid ahead on those Sunday evenings at Christ Chapel. And you probably don't know even now, but you believed God. You knew that he was faithful, and you knew that he was working all things, all things together for our good. That's faith, an active and living faith that has expressed itself in love over and over and over again through every work project, volunteer project, missional community. Active faith, yours has been. We see we need the same faith. We need the same faith for the new year. Because to help people live in light of the gospel and to see the gospel transform everything within our reach, by faith we must live as family. By faith we must live as missionaries. By faith we must live as servants. This is the transformative power of the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That it not only changes us, but it empowers us to act for the good of our neighborhoods, city, and world. And it all starts by grace through a faith that works. A faith that goes beyond mere words and leads to action through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, resolve. Resolve this new year to live by this faith in Jesus. Because in him, new city, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we... We confess this morning that to live the life that we have just heard, we need your spirit. Empower us this year, 2024, to live in light of who you are and what you've done. And Lord, may it be that as we live this life and as we tell people of your life, death, and resurrection, that there will be more people that will come to love and follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen.